0: Hello and welcome to episode six of Cypher Vision, the importance of an IP mindset. I'm joined today by Frankie, fresh back from holiday.
1: Hi, Nigel.
0: Today's guest is Bo Heiden, co-director of the Center for Intellectual Property in Gothenburg in Sweden, and also the visiting professor at the University of California, Berkeley. Welcome, Bo. Thanks for joining us
2: today. Thanks, Nigel. It's good to see you. Looking forward to our discussion.
0: An intense grilling is what we like to call it here.
2: The hard talk,
0: you didn't call it that, but...
1: I think it's a great timing to have you along to our Cypher Vision podcast series, Bo. I guess as, as many students are maybe thinking about going back to university at the start of the academic year. So fantastic that we could have you on at this time. I think for our listeners and maybe for all the potential students out there as well, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Give us a bit of background about where you started off in life. And I think you've got some good stories and segues that you can share with us
2: i have a little bit of a strange background and i think that actually is one reason for when we get into later on about education and why we do things this way is that my background is a bit unique and the other people i work with is a bit unique and as we know that creates innovative thinking when you bring in different possibilities but i i grew up in the united states and i studied electrical engineering so i was an engineer from the beginning but I was also very interested in basketball. So I played basketball in college and then I thought it would be an interesting idea to go play basketball in Europe, below the NBA level. So I went to Europe to play and I enjoyed it. I got to learn a lot, I visited lots of different countries and played with lots of different people and learned a lot of things. And then I continued on when I was playing in Sweden to get my master's degree in technology management. And then I went on to get a PhD in innovation economics. But because I was in Sweden, one of the reasons when I did my master's, I met some uh, professors there, a professor named Ulva Gronström, who was at uh, the engineering school, a young guy then, slimmer guy, Ulf Pietersen at the time, who was at the law school. They had these interesting ideas about the knowledge economy and the role of IP. And for me, in my kind of eclectic background, I thought that this was very interesting. So it was kind of, you know, serendipity coming together to focus on what does it mean in the knowledge economy? What do we even mean by knowledge economy? I mean, knowledge has been around for a long time. Don't we really mean the control of knowledge economy? And the control of knowledge, you know, is always going to land you into a discussion about intellectual property. So we've always had this very broad perspective on intellectual property, which you can see in our education.
0: We're going to talk about education a lot, though, and your approach... I think I always think of you as a pioneer because your approach to education has been very different to the one that I was brought up with. I was an IP lawyer for 30 years and I was taught intellectual property as a module because they knew I was going to become a lawyer. That's not your approach at all. You always talk to me in terms of this trilogy between technology, law and business. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Now, because of this mixed influence and actors, both from the law school and from the engineering school, but not only at an engineering school, but at a a department of technology management and economics at an engineering school, which is not completely normal either. When you think about intellectual property, it covers all these areas, but oftentimes people stick to their knitting. So what we wanted to do is bring all these together and create what we call T-shaped people, people that are maybe engineers in some way in their background or business, or lawyers, and of course they need to be good at that, but then they need to also understand about these other areas if they want to be effective leaders. And intellectual property is a classic area for that, especially if you're talking about technology-based firms. Technology has functions and performances that we study in engineering, but it also has an economic impact and business impact, It also has a legal dimension. So when the lawyers need to understand the technology to understand the legal dimension, And of course, they also need to understand the business, understand the relevance of trying to work with the technology to bring it out into the market. And the engineers need to understand the the economic and the legal dimension. When you bring all these different disciplines together, what we ended up doing is teaching an interdisciplinary curriculum. So we don't teach like engineering here for one class and business for one class and law for another. We intertwine it all together with a focus on innovation and entrepreneurship. And so we have an interdisciplinary curriculum, and then we have a lot of different disciplinary people sitting in the classroom working together. So it's interdisciplinary on two levels, which allows for people to, to understand IP as just a natural part of business as opposed to a separate subject all of its own, but also learn lets uh, different disciplines learn how to speak and talk to people of other disciplines, which I think is critical. You've learned that, Nigel, during your years of experience of how to talk to different people we thought maybe we could embed this already in the education at the master's level.
1: And thinking about these T-shaped individuals that you're shaping through the education program, how have you seen the impact of those individuals in industry to date?
2: I think when we first started this, we were very focused on creating a new education that would prepare people to develop, or to build businesses and transform existing businesses in this what we call knowledge economy. What we realized quickly is that if we build people with these skill sets, there isn't necessarily a role in companies for these young interdisciplinary people. So what they've done is they've usually gone out and used this background to do rather interesting things, but they almost always need to embed themselves into the existing way things are being done. So they might go into management consulting, but they have this broader mindset. Our lawyers might go and Law students might go into law firms, but again, they're more broad in their thinking. But also our lawyers have created companies, some created tech companies, some have created new legal companies. Now we have legal tech as an area, which is an obvious combination of technology and law. But others have gone to work in IP departments of big companies. And by doing that, foster the relationship between IP and the rest of the organization. And certainly we have people in other parts of the R&D and strategy part of an organization, which is also very effective because they appreciate IP and can interface with the IP. So we have people all over the place. We started out to create a new profession, but I think we just created a lot of T-shaped people in different professions.
0: cipher has been very fortunate to be encouraged to be a supporter of CIP and to take interns on a regular basis, and we have benefited Hugely from that experience, these T-shirt people are different. They certainly are also exceptional human beings. We have never been disappointed by any of our experiences of any of the the young people that you are nurturing. So I can't speak highly enough. But all I said when I introduced you to the podcast was to say, "Oh, uh, here's Bo, long-standing founder of CIP, and now travelling across to the US in Berkeley." But maybe you could just talk a little bit more about what those courses are and how your relationships with corporates has enabled you to have the success that you have
2: had. Well, first of all, they do well as interns because we we threaten them. (laughs) We tell them, we don't want to use your name next year to say why we can't do an internship at Cypher anymore. And that tends to govern their behavior. They work very hard. As you know. And
0: when we talk about Bo being the big man of IP, for those people who caught the basketball reference, we are talking about rocking in at about six foot 10 with his buddy, all Al Peterson, around about the same height.
2: We're both rather large. We joked that we wanted to be big in IP. <laughs> and, uh, and we seem to have done that, but through the lunch buffet, SIP was created. It was created as an industry collaboration. So it was this idea. That was another, you now looking back, serendipitous moment where Ericsson coming out of the 90s had learned about the value of IP as a core to creating value. So they felt that it was important that intellectual property was discussed as a strategic management subject. It doesn't mean that it's not legal, it just means that the focus would be on business. So we've always had this relationship with industry academic relationship from the beginning. And that's been critical because you want academia to come up with new theories, you want them to organize people together and interdisciplinarily, as we talked about, but you also need to always be linked to what industry is seeing. Your ideas of what you're teaching the students is related to what's going on. But by having a good, healthy back and forth between theory and practice, you know we're able to learn from industry, and industry is able to learn from us to see things different. And that's why I talk about a mindset. It's very easy when you're in industry, when you start to do your work, to get a bit myopic, and you need people to come in, and open up your thinking I think our students do that a lot even on internships where they come in we have them pumped up on the thinking from the program and asking you questions why do you do this I wanted to
1: ask you Bo we often talk about the IP professional and when we're discussing the key messages that we want people to come away with from our Cypher Vision podcasts we do think about the IP professional but I'm actually thinking is that term almost outdated Or actually, is that thinking kind of wrong? Because we're not creating T-shaped individuals with multidisciplinary capabilities.
2: I think when we started out, as I mentioned, we wanted to create a new professional identity. And I think it needs to be, it's a complementary one. So we definitely need IP professionals that dig into the details, patent attorneys that are very good at writing patents, lawyers that are very good at creating contracts and structuring deals. But we also need the generalists. We need the specialists, but we also need the generalist. And the generalist can kind of see the forest for the trees. You know, there's a famous saying by Peter Drucker, the father of management, that there's nothing worse to do with great efficiency that which should not have been done in the first place. So it's the broad picture that makes you ask the question: Why? Why are we doing what we're doing? If we're going to um, apply for a patent, why? I know we can do it. And I know we probably can get it granted, but why are we doing it? And so this add in this why forces this T-shape to come about, then you have to say, okay, how is everything linked in the company? So I think that not only does the IP profession need to have more of this why perspective, it'll even make you a better specialist, right? Because then you'll be hitting more on the target. So I think that that's necessary. So that's an augmentation already to the current profession, but there needs to be a new group of people that are constantly focused on the business, but then think about how IP can be used to leverage the business goals. It's the second group that we've been focusing on, which is not to say that some of our students don't go on to become specialists, but we've been focusing primarily on this strategic generalist.
0: And uh, the last podcast guest was Suzanne Harrison. I know you know Suzanne very well, and she was talking about the rise of IP strategy. The world has changed. significantly because of the rise of intangibles but there is this joining there is this recognition that uh, the assets that you can't see and touch the intangible assets the intellectual property is so important to the success of the business that this starting with why I'm so happy that you said that we just republished cipher values internally to our organization and the first of them is start with why we're a data company we provide evidence to help companies make better decisions. And those decisions always start with why. And so that's our first corporate value. And I think that's the reason when I hear you talk, why it's just so important that everyone has an IP mindset, not so they can file a patent, but so they can know why patents or trademarks or other intellectual assets, what role they can perform How successful do you think you've been? Obviously, getting across the pond to start a course at Berkeley sounds like it's been successful, but is that the start of a new set of courses around universities around the world?
2: Well, it is difficult to create interdisciplinary education in universities. It is rather siloed in that the law school is on one part of campus and the engineering is on another part and the business is on another. And people get together once in a while. But primarily, you sit within your faculty and you publish within journals within that faculty. So to create an interdisciplinary education requires what I call the visible hand, right? It doesn't just happen automatically. You have to kind of pull it together. And so the way that we did it in Gothenburg is that we had actors, key actors involved in the development of sitting on the different faculties. And we got people to work together on that. Same thing at Berkeley. We work in the College of Engineering. We work at Haas Business School. We work with the law school as well. Everyone has to be incentivized. The different students that come together are not going to get some type of new joint degree that never existed before. They're still going to be engineers and MBAs and JDs and LLMs. But the more that we can get them to study together to see being good at what they do relates to the other people that they need to interface with in creating business. I think that um, at the very least, this creates this more robust, broad thinking, T shaped people. Whether this can turn into some type of completely new interdisciplinary way of going forward, the kind of a new norm in academia, it's still difficult based on the existing educational model.
1: I just wanted to pick up on generalists that you were discussing, Bo, and starting with the why. I just want us to think about when we're looking at the IP professionals of today who are in organisations, I'm going to ask this to both you, Bo, and Nigel. What's your experience? Are we seeing T-shaped people? Are we seeing this sort of generalist, bigger picture thinking? And are we seeing people asking the why? Yeah, well,
0: I definitely spend a lot of time with heads of intellectual property and patents in large organizations and growing organizations, and they're definitely changing. Some of the teams we're talking to, it's up to 50% of the people working in the teams are non-patent people. They're either engineers, that's typically where you foster some of the great creative minds to work in patent teams. There are economists in organizations like Google and Facebook. There are data scientists. And also the listeners are very different. The CTO isn't now a a sort of piggy bank that you can shake and get money to go and fund epic amounts of patenting without answering the why, because you're competing for resources. So there's a great article, which Facebook inspired us to collaborate with, called Return on Investment of Patents. And that ROI calculation is a business metric. I think you'll see a lot more of that happening. So... Certainly from an IP perspective, looking at the IP teams, they definitely are more T-shaped people. I really like that expression, Beau. There are more of those types of people inside the organizations, and I think the organizations are more strategic
2: for it. I I agree with Nigel. I I think it's expanding, and it's interesting because the companies are different as well. You know, we have that, that statistic that we roll out in IP all the time about the... In 1970, the s and was mostly tangible assets, and now it's mostly intangible. Of course, intangible assets are all over the firm, so people are managing it in whatever they do. What we want to argue is how explicitly are you managing it, and how much value can you create if you're more explicitly manage these aspects. And when you start to think like that, you start to see lots of possibilities. These new digital companies, you know, like the Facebooks and the Googles, they look at intellectual property in a broad way and see lots of different things. So they see the need for economists, You know, this is a policy issue. Now on a government level, it's even geopolitical. So when you start to see the importance, the why, or what do we want to achieve, then you start to see, okay, we need to ask some more questions. The one role, the chief intellectual property officer, was probably the most recent in the last 20 years of a moving up or broadening of capabilities within the IP department. But now, as Nigel said, there's people that have very broad skill sets working with IP and also interfacing with lots of other parts in in the company. I mean, digital companies are only intangible assets, right?
1: Bo, I've got a four-year-old actually who just started school today. So hopefully she's having a a great time. But what's the future going to hold for her? What more needs to be done, do you think, in this area of developing the IP mindset?
2: Well, it depends on the progress of artificial intelligence. Maybe, she, maybe the, she won't have to work very much. She can do whatever she wants. That'd be nice. <laughs> but when it comes to IP, um, we talk a lot about IP education in different ways. We, we run a two-year master's program where IP is embedded throughout a whole program focused on innovation and entrepreneurship as opposed to just focusing on IP as something in of itself. I think it's better to embed it So for her, it would be good that she would get to learn about intellectual property embedded in how are we trying to solve problems? How are we trying to solve problems for business? How are we trying to solve problems for society? How does this help to make sure that we roll out innovations across the world? So IP, you know, the control of knowledge is a very fundamental concept. It has a lot of ethical implications beyond being critical to understand as a business tool. So I hope that she gets the big picture, the mindset, right? It's the mindset. Why is IP important and what can it do? And that's why I say that if we're going to teach IP on a, even on an introductory level, I would always start with IP strategy. What does it do for us?
0: That sounds great. I know it's a Simon Sinek thing and credit to him, but that why... How, what, starting with why is just so important in everything we do. And I don't think intangible assets intellectual property escapes that test. There is 40 billion a year spent on patents every year to maintain and protect them, file new ones. There are hundreds of millions of patent documents. I'd like to go and think that not everyone knows the answer to how many patents are enough or to put it in your terminology, Bo, why do we do what we do? And I think it gives people meaning, which probably leads us to the big question of all. So if you had to summarize what we like to call the cipher vision from this episode, the key takeaway you'd like to give to listeners, how would you sum it up?
2: Is this the part that people fast forward to just to get the last one? I'll ask them. It better be good then, right? So uh, the most important is that to understand that IP people need a business mindset, but also business people need an IP mindset. And what that allows them to do, business people with an IP mindset allows them to look at what they're doing and understand the role of control in business. And that's critical. It's broader than just IP, but IP helps you to understand that and is critical. The second thing would be that we should have an IP strategy perspective. And more than just teaching IP basics, it should always be IP strategy so people understand why IP is important and the how will come after that.
0: Look thank you Bo from on behalf of Cypher but also on behalf of industry we thank you and the teams that are around you for the work that you do developing a, an understanding of intellectual property and intangible assets has been through a rapid and irreversible evolution in the last decade and educating a new generation of professionals to handle this is key to sustaining momentum Yet there are only a few academic institutions, Bo's obviously talked about, the two he's involved with, that have designed academic programs specifically for this purpose. Gothenburg and Berkeley are two of the standard examples and it's no coincidence that Bo Heiden sits at the epicenter of both. Thank you for tuning into the Cyphervision podcast series. Please continue the conversation on social using hashtag and share your thoughts about today's episodes on The importance of an IP mindset. Tune in to our next podcast where we'll be speaking to Dan McCurdy, CEO of RPX, about the management and mitigation of patent risks.